Welcome to Rugged Matrix America. Hey fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Hey, don't forget, the biggest rugby party in the USA is slated for February 10th through 12th, 2012 in Las Vegas, Nevada. The USA Sevens International Rugby Tournament brings the United States and 15 other top international sevens teams to the American stop on the World Series circuit. It's three days of thrilling action. Go to USA7s.com for details and great hotel and ticket packages. And if you're a player, the Las Vegas Invitational is where you can play rugby before seeing the USA Sevens. Presented by Stations Casinos, the LVI is the biggest tournament in the country and offers sevens and fifteens playing opportunities for all levels. Go to LVIRugby.com for details on how to sign up and get great USA Sevens deals and special rates on Stations Casinos Hotels. Once again, go to LVIRugby.com for details. Jonah Lamu Rugby Challenge is now available for pre-order at GameStop and the store at GameShark.com. Order now and get a free t-shirt with pre-orders. Games Radar says the game looks fantastic and plays smoothly. A long time coming and worth the wait. Get your copy today and get the game hailed by Gamer Fusion as a great experience. Jonah Lamu Rugby Challenge offers an unrivaled Xbox 360 rugby experience. Featuring 93 teams and 31 stadiums, online leaderboards, in-game Dolby Digital, and multiplayer voice chat. Buy now and be among the first to play this acclaimed game and get a free rugby t-shirt. Check out GameStop, GameShark.com, and check out the ad on our main page at RugbyMag.com for more. This is Alex Goff, Editor-in-Chief of RugbyMag.com, and we are back for show 72. And we had a, a string of uh, interesting guests in the last few shows, but uh, we're going sans guests this time because we had a whole bunch of stuff going on. And we're joined again by... Pat Clifton in Kansas City and Bruce McLean in New York City and all of us I think did we did we get up early in the morning to watch the World Cup final and and in fact I I got a question for both of you if you didn't get up to watch it in the middle of the night did you try to hide yourself from the result before you watched it I wanted to get up in the middle of the night set my alarm to get up I decided when my alarm went off that I did not feel like getting up <laughs> feel that if it had about 30 different missed calls and about 10, uh, you know, profanity-laced messages from guys I planned to watch it with in the morning. But I managed – I didn't listen to them until after the game. I didn't check anything, and I went straight to Universal Sports, watched the game. I kind of guessed that uh, New Zealand had won given that their picture was on the cover of the uh, the click here to watch the game. But I, I did manage to watch it without officially knowing the result. I watched it in San Francisco – with um, a lot of people from the AC and Olympic Club and Cal Berkeley and 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 Lord knows how many other clubs in the San Francisco area, it was a great atmosphere and and but had I slept through it, I would would have looked at the result because I don't like to watch games and not know the result, especially if if it was a crazy result or a. Like forty-seven to five. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and watch that. I mean, I'll watch it, but I'm not going to worry myself over it. I, it doesn't bother me to know the result. I just, 
I, I didn't really watch it for the drama of it, although it was a f- fantastic game drama-wise. We went to a place called the Republic in San Francisco, where they had uh, where they had the foreign announcers, <laughs> and 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 I and I'll say that I as as much as I was happy with some of the American stuff over the time, I mean that the American announcing compared to the foreign announcing in this game was night and day so I was I, I, I saw the game three times so I, I I really was I prefer the foreign announcers to the American announcers I think Grant Nesbitt is one of the better announcers in sports and I really liked uh, what he did I I didn't get up in the middle of the night I get but first thing in the morning I I had the link ready to go so that I didn't have to go through Universal Sports uh, page and I didn't have to see any pictures so I just had uh, the link directly to the page ready so that I could hide from the result and and it's generally these things we we deal with this stuff all the time I deal with this stuff all the time and I I end up seeing the result from of most of these games but I did hide from the results on the semifinals and I did hide the res- from the result on this and I thought and and want to see what you guys think about this you know I got some comments uh, the game was kind of dull in in just pure entertainment rugby terms but championship games of this type are very rarely open three or four five six tries you're not going to see that kind of stuff uh it's going to be tight it's going to be really really close and the closeness of course was what made it exciting because it was a one-point game and it, it it uh you know, it went right down to the end. No matter, you knew that if anybody made a mistake, if especially New Zealand in the lead, if they made one mistake, they were going to lose the game, and it would be a national tragedy. So, I want to know. I, I, Pat, I know you've got some opinions about the game, but and I, I thought as a spectacle in that sense, it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more scoring. I would, but I also thought it was kind of. A, I mean, there was. That, that was running in that game. They they were trying to play. Yeah, I mean, anytime you're watching a championship game, the drama, the intensity, and just the sheer tense tenseness of a game like that, the importance of a game comes through when it's close. I mean, the fact that it was an eight point game at the at its you know most spread out margin, um, in France contested the entire way. It was it was a great game to, to watch, and it, sure for maybe the the casual rugby fan, it wasn't um, the most fun game to watch. It wasn't thirty four thirty three, which would have been great for NBC, but, um, you know, I was riveted to my seat watching the whole thing. And, uh, I thought it was a great final, even, even, even though it was, uh, it wasn't, uh, high scoring. I mean, I think they said in the broadcast that the most tries ever been scored a final was something like only four in a world cup final. And, uh, yeah, that's right. The first one, there was four and there's never been more than two since there was two in this one. So you, and you've had, uh, Two, two of the the finals, um, 1995 and 2007. There were no tries at all scored. Yeah, I was on the edge of my seat every time Piri Wipu went to make a kick, or well, went to miss a kick, as it turned out. Um, but no, yeah, it was a it was a great final, and I love watching Dusatois play. He's, uh, I think he's fantastic to watch play. So I was riveted to my seat the whole time. I thought France came to play, and and I was glad that France came to play, and 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 I thought it was a good final, and and there's something to be said for enormous defensive struggles and I think that you know you could put that up there with had they had they won that game you know you could put that up there with the Giants beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl or the Patriots beating the Rams when they won the Super Bowl or the Jets beating the 
the Colts when they won the Super Bowl. So, I mean, there, there were some, some really amazing things. I thought Rougerie played fantastic. I thought that the, I thought that the packs had a, had a, a very good battle on the scrum and the line out. And it, and it was, there is something to be said for watching teams play very tenacious and ferocious defense. I, you know, I, I didn't want France to win initially because I felt that the All Blacks were the better team, were the better team over the course of time, and had earned the right to be the World Cup champions based on their performance in the World Cup. And, and France hadn't, in my mind, really even earned the right to be in the final based on their performance in the World Cup. But late in the game, I found myself hoping that France would pull it out or at least hoping that France would get an opportunity to kick a goal to get a chance to pull it out. And and I thought that they were relatively hard done by by the referee. And I'm not saying that they should have won. I'm just saying that, you know, it was kind of like you had to knock out the champ because the referee wasn't going to give you the, wasn't going to give you the decision. And, and I think that, um, but all that said, France came to play. And I think both teams have a lot to be proud of. And I think the IRB is a joke for having – I thought that the way the French handled the Haka was fantastic. And I thought that it added some drama. They did, they weren't rude about it. I think they went a half a yard over the over the 50 or maybe a yard. But what a tr- – I thought they, it was – they, All they did was meet the challenge, right? That's all they did. They stood in a V and they moved up to the line and they leaned forward and said, all right, bring it. I mean there was nothing wrong with that. That was beautiful. I thought it was great. You know, the um, I, I was thinking back to 1999. Uh, New Zealand was going into that tournament. Um, perhaps you know a lot of some people felt like they had had missed out in '95 of winning a, a, a the the World Cup when they were probably the most exciting team out there. So they go in '99. You know, they're blowing everybody away again, and 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 perhaps the best team in the tournament. And then what do they do there? Is they lose to France and 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 that was that semifinal was for me still one of the most exciting most fun games I've ever I've ever watched because you if you're not a French fan I think it turns you into one at least for that game because France were behind something like 24 to 10 didn't give up came to play and they had a they had a tactical plan that beat the All Blacks you had to say well they play better and I think that if France had gotten you know a even just a, a a lucky penalty at the end of that game, you'd have to nod and say they they played hard enough to win. And by the way, would Periwipu been have been uh, gone from the hero to the biggest goat in the country? Because there's a guy who misses eight points on the kick and pretty much gives up that try with perhaps one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen in a final. Yeah, you know that. Unfortunately for Perry, that didn't happen. He would have definitely been the villain of the uh, of the entire, you know, shindig. For he could have been the Bill Buckner of the All Blacks of uh, of New Zealand if he if, if they ended up losing that game. And perhaps they should have pulled him earlier. And I love watching Perry Weeper play. I love. I mean, I think he's one of the funnest guys to watch play. Um, his kicks were atrocious, and uh, like you said on that play, he made a, a big mistake. Um, but circling back to a little bit earlier, Bruce. I, I couldn't agree with you more on the referee situation. Um, I got into a little Facebook argument with some guys throughout the country um, on, on what happened. I actually went back, took a screenshot of that, that penalty. It ended up being a, a scrum awarded to, 
to France. He said too many bodies on the ground. Uh, Craig Joubert did. And I went back, watched it, and I took a screenshot. And I, it was four or five all-black bodies to one French body. And the French body was the ball carrier. Um, and instead of awarding a penalty and a shot at goal, um, there in around the 75th minute or so at the end of that 15-plus phase possession, um, he gave a scrum. So that was him not wanting to uh, – you know, get beers poured on him, I guess, until he left New Zealand or what his deal was. Like you said, having to knock out the champ. But to me, that's a joke um, for that to be the case. And I think it's a joke in all sports. And there, you can draw a lot of comparisons to a lot of different sports. But, no, I, I agree with you 100% on that. And um, and I agree with your, your estimation on Piri Weepu. And lucky for him, the All Blacks won, because that guy – um, would not be uh, finding it easy to walk around the streets in New Zealand right now if they had lost. Both of those teams played quite well. well some ki- some guy on game line put up um, a little YouTube thing that you can see the you can see some of the penalties that Matt Williams, the uh, former Scottish coach, and someone else um, um, I forgot it's an, an Irish second row um, had they had done a little analysis. But I think one of the things you see is the importance of having good quarterbacks or, or good fly halves or, or good scrum halves in rugby. And, and New Zealand was down to their fourth choice uh, fly half in um, Stephen Donald. And, and and the French, although Trent Duke had been a starter quite a bit, but Trent Duke was a second choice fly half for the French. And I think that it, it shows that having depth in, in skill positions is, is critical. And I think that's one of the real differentiators between the tier one and tier two nations that, you know, you need to develop quarterbacks because quarterbacks win games. You can have, you can have a great line, but you still need to have a great quarterback to win. It also helps if you got, um, you know, a defensive end that can draw a holding play every call, you know, every time around and, and can put his hand in a face mask and not get called for it. Like, you know, a Richie McCall, that guy, Man, it makes me nauseous seeing what he gets away with um, and the, the amount of penalties he's not called for. Yeah, well, it's it's not going to happen in the final, though, changing this stuff. And I really would like to see it change. I'd like to see them be consistent, but it's not going to happen in the final. You know what I'd like to see um, more than anything is these 30-second ruck pick and go where it takes 15 or 20 seconds to get the ball out to the next phase. I mean, the, this stopping the clock to do pick and goes, and that's insane. They should just penalize them. And it should be an automatic penalty. You stand there and you're jerking around over the ball. Boom. Put your hand up long arm the other way. That will stop that crap. Either play or don't play. Bruce but, McLean calling for a shot clock in rugby. Well, the law is on the books. You're, really, you're supposed to use it. All they have to say is just say use it once it's there. I, I really dislike – I agree with you, Bruce. I dislike that intensely, and I think it's such a problem. And, and I could get going on this, but there, there's, there's an orthodoxy in rugby coaching that's, that's, so, that's so staid at the moment that everybody coaches the same way, that there's so much risk-averse coaching that we don't see – quick ball when it's possible if in doubt you see them just hold it hold it jonah lamu rugby challenge is now available for pre-order at gamestop and the store at gameshark.com and then they order now and get a free t-shirt with pre-orders games radar says the game looks fantastic and plays smoothly a long time coming and worth the wait get your copy today and get the game hailed by gamer fusion as a great experience jonah lamu rugby challenge offers an unrivaled xbox 360 rugby experience 
featuring 93 teams in 31 stadiums, online leaderboards, in-game Dolby Digital, and multiplayer voice chat. Buy now and be among the first to play this acclaimed game and get a free rugby t-shirt. Check out GameStop, GameShark.com, and check out the ad on our main page at RugbyMag.com for more. So th there's no difference between what sides do. I'm just saying that it is an, a real blight on the game. The IRB has to they, – they made a lot of really good fixes in the laws of the game over the course of the past 15, 20 years. And um, this is one of them that absolutely has to change because it, it is making the end of games unwatchable. And especially big games like Heineken Cup Finals and, 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 and Six Nations Grand Slam games and, and – things of that nature and in the world cup final i mean the world cup final the number one spectacle had the last four minutes eaten away with crap well they they changed the laws to depower the mall because you could kill the game just by mauling and uh smart coaches and smart players find a way to kill the game with rucking so uh, we will be right back after this just a congratulations to new zealand and congratulations to the country of new zealand for hosting a great tournament and uh, and congratulations to the fans of New Zealand for getting that World Cup championship that they've been waiting so long for. We will be right back on Raga Matrix America. Okay, we are back with Alex Goff and Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton on Rugged Matrix America. And we talked about the World Cup, and we've got something else big coming up. And, and for the United States, perhaps it's much bigger than the World Cup because they could come away with it with a victory. We talked a little bit about, uh, about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but the Pan Am Games are coming up this weekend, uh, October 29th and 30th. The USA has picked their team. And they're going to be in a pool. They switched the pools, so we announced the pools before, and then they changed them. The RB took a look at them and said, no, no, we're going to move USA and Argentina. So the USA plays against uh, Canada and Brazil and Chile. It's going to be a very tough pool for them. They start against Chile, who's who's uh, on the first game of the the morning, and uh, the Chile is not a team you look past. Uh, but But here's the team. And um, got some comments on it, but uh, the team is uh, captain is Shalom Suniola, then Mark Bachoven, Colin Hawley, Rocco Maurer, Falau Niua, Mile Pulu, Nuupunimata, Blaine Scully, Roland Suniola, Zach Test, who is the vice captain, Peter Tiberio, and Maka Unufe. Uh, a lot of youth, a lot of speed. But who they don't have are Matt Hawkins, who's just coming back from injury, big power forward, and they don't have Paul Emmerich, who had knee surgery and is a power back slash forward, uh, 
and uh, we, we've seen what he can do in contact. So it's a complete change around, guys, from uh, from the type of team we were seeing last season. Yeah, I, I really like this team, and you're right. It's, this is a fast, fast team. Um, and in the past, you know, guys that have been Al's favorites, you know, Bachoven's always seemed to be one of Al Caravelli's favorites. Um, Hawkins has always been a favorite, and for good reason. Um, but also a guy like Marco Barnard, who, while he can play a number of different positions, can play halfback um, and is a very good player, he's not exactly the fastest guy on the field, um, but he makes up for it with grit, um, uh, you know, the ability to to go into contact and win it and um, just being a hard-nosed cat. But it, it, you don't have him here, but when you substitute out um, Hawkins and you substitute out uh, Marco Barnard, you look at the speed on this team, and it's that's what really jumps out. And if guys like Peter Tiberio and Maka Unufe um, and Rocco Maurer can play like we've seen them play in the domestic game, and they cannot be deer in headlights, and if they have enough gusto and enough moxie to come out here and just pretend like, you know, they own the world already and play really hard, this team could be just phenomenal to watch, and they could set this tournament on fire. I mean, they could go out and win it. Maka Unufe is a guy that I – a lot of people have talked about him uh, being a stud, and I don't think – and a lot of times we talk about people and we – overblow how good they are and maybe we don't get enough to watch them uh, enough time to watch them. we see them have a really good day and um and maybe we just hype them up a little bit too much maka nufe um believe the hype this kid is fast he's strong he is a daring runner and i think he's the type of guy that has enough um you know moxie to come out here and i think they call it swagger is what the kids are calling it these days i think he has enough swagger to come out here and 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 actually make a really good showing in this tournament this kid can play and I'm excited to see what he does um in this in this tournament. I'm hoping that they bring uh I'm actually hoping that they bring a quiet intensity. Um I'm hoping that they go out with with real focus and 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 the reason I say that is because I think that sevens is a game that if you allow yourself to get overconfident or you allow yourself to do a couple of stupid things you could find yourself 14, 17, 21 points down and not a whole lot of time to fix your errors. And and that's that's the the problem with sevens and the excitement of sevens is that teams can anybody can beat anybody. And then when you go into metal metal sort of situations or semifinals, you could get yourself knocked out of a, a gold or a silver medal because of of downright overconfidence or almost or arrogance and that's not to say that the thing about great players when great players see a sliver or when great players see they have a chance they go for it and I think that you have to do that but I think that you have to do it with a focus and an intensity and I think a quiet intensity um I think that this team is is very talented uh top to bottom and 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 as you say they do have uh, truckloads of speed, and and they actually do have truckloads of power as well. But but one of the things that they don't have truckloads of experience, and they don't have eight or nine guys who have an, an enormous amount of international experience. So I think in doing that, they need to do the simple things well. They need to execute on the basics. They need to trust themselves in defense, and they need to play a team game. And I think that in playing a team game and executing on the fundamentals, they'll allow themselves to shine and they'll, you'll see some great flashes of individual brilliance. 
but if they try to force one-off games or they try to they try to do things that possibly they were able to get away with in domestic competition that they could they could run themselves into trouble they can get isolated and they and they can make mistakes that can cause easy tries to go the other way now i think that they're going to be very well prepared and i think that obviously the coaching staff has thought through those things but that would be the only fear on my part is that if if inexperience turns into trying to force something that's not on because the game doesn't the half doesn't end at 7 minutes you know you could keep playing until the half's over and and then trying to force things that aren't there that's where teams get themselves into trouble so that's all I'm I I think that this is a team that has the capability of winning a gold medal the scary thing to me is while they're not super experienced at, at the international level on a week-in and week-out basis. And I, and I think that not having Emmerich and Hawkins is a big part of it. I think Scully's going to help him. I don't know how, how much playing time he's going to get. I, th- I, I, think, I think they're looking at Scully as, as their, their generally their, their second prop. Bachhoven Test and, and Scully up front, and, and Colin Hawley is your backup everything. Uh, and and I, I I agree with you, Bruce, about that. Um, and the experience level. The big thing is that I think at uh, at at scrum half you have uh, Shalom Suniula. Su- sorry, Shalom Suniula, who is uh, who's very experienced, and and has that confidence. And I think you're going to really need that. And the big risk, as you said, is is Falau Niua. And he is uh, from San Francisco Golden Gate. He's a California guy. This is going to be his first international uh, chance. I mean, he's never even been in camp before, and he gets put on the team, and he's going to be their starting fly half. So that that is an issue. How is he going to handle that? But he's 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 really good. Oh, he's tremendous. He's he's and he is. And I I should have looked up the word. What's the kicking version of ambidextrous? That's it. He can kick with both feet, and he can kick off. He can drop kick with both feet. So he is. He offers. Uh, a, a lot of 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 uh, skills that they can they can play off of. Um, on on the experience side, Zach Test uh, and Mark Bachhoven are going to be critical on that. But you know, you mentioned the speed, Pat, and yeah, you know, this is this is a fast team. Mako Nufe uh, is kind of a long strider guy who just sort of seems to glide through and around people. You don't even know how fast he's running. Uh, Rocco Mauer has these little choppy strides. What's really great about the way he runs, he runs kind of like a, a wiener dog with those little strides, is that he can change, he can change at any, uh, he can change direction at any step. And then Peter Tiberio is like the other two in the sense that he's very quick. He doesn't look very big, but he's actually very strong. And I watched him score a try for the All Americans against the New Zealand uh, under twenty ones and. Um, and and he tiptoed down that sideline, and he was hit two or three times while he was going down that sideline, and he stayed and he pushed people off. So while these guys are kind of kind of thin, they're not big, bulky guys like Hawkins. They're physically strong, and I think that uh, the guy you'll really see come through. And don't forget, I think he was the best sevens player on the team until he wasn't able to go with the team anymore. Is Mile Pulu. And I think the Mile Pulu is the guy who perhaps could take this tournament by the scruff of the neck. I, I agree with that assessment. I mean, Mile is probably has the most, um, you know, success as far as being a dynamic player out of these guys. Obviously, Zach Test 
is considered one of the best in the world at what he does. Um, but you know, he, that is the one area where he really excels. He's become, he's gotten a lot closer to being that all around five tool, if you will, player. And he's a really, really good player. With that said, Mele is the guy that's got the tries to really, the tries and the, and the big plays to back up what he, what he's going to do in this tournament. And he is a great player, but I, I look at Blaine Scully and you guys talked about him and I hope he does get to start, um, you know, the vast majority of these games. And I think the fact that he got so much playing time in the world cup coming into this thing, he's one guy who, you know, is going to be switched into the right gear. He's been in the, the pressure pack situations. He's not going to fold. He's not, he's a young guy, but he's a young guy that's got more experience than, you know, more high pressure experience than arguably even guys like Mark Bachoven and Zach test. Um, he's played in, in front of more people and he's, uh, he's had to catch more balls under, you know, with people bearing down on him than those guys have. Um, but yeah, I think he could be huge, but, and I'm not saying that, um, experiences shouldn't be, uh, valued very highly here, but, uh, how about the fab five? Those guys were fantastic. This these, I'm not saying these guys are the fab five, but there's some young unexperienced cat or inexperienced cats on this team who I think could go out and really, really make a name for themselves. That said, they could drop the ball. They can make some stupid mistakes too, but I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, you see, some of these guys, especially a guy like Makanufe, if he gets the playing time, I don't know what kind of PT he's going to get. Um, really just make a fool of a couple of guys. But I don't think there's a chance of them being overconfident. There's no reason to be overconfident. But I think a lot of them have the reason uh, have a reason to be um, at least confident. And I think that they could do really well in this thing. That's a, I hope they have that confidence. I think that they should have a quiet confidence and a quiet intensity and a quiet ability you know a, a real belief in their ability and and i and i think that i'm actually a little scared about scully and hawley and 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 even to some extent test and sunula in that they have been playing a lot of 15s and that 15s is a completely different game and, and while there are there are similarities to it and there's some and some similarities to the laws they are very, very different games, and sometimes it's a little bit of time to get your act together in terms of the defensive roles, in terms of the uh, the timing of your runs and 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 things that you're doing in the open field, especially how you deal with the contact situation and ball placement and and clear out and and the ability to to clear balls from the base of rucks, which are they probably don't have to do that often in a 15s game, but I, I think that it's I think that it's a tremendous team. I think that they have tremendous ability. I think that it's just going to be a matter of them putting it together, staying consistent, staying focused, and being able to produce it game after game after game, and just kind of let the tournament go one game at a time, one half at a time, one play at a time. And if they do that and they execute, they're going to be difficult to beat because top to bottom they have a lot of talent. And that and and experience doesn't mean crap if you're not talented. <laughs> Give me talent over experience any day of the week. And and I think that there's there's enough experience to carry them, but I, I think that they have a, a tremendous amount of talent. It's a matter of them putting it together and and I'm my concern is playing as a team when you're under pressure. Holy crap. It's 12 minutes into the game. We're down by two. Are you going to start to be the guy who's going to try to force it? 
or are you just going to be patient and understand that you still have two minutes and two minutes and sevens is an eternity. You know, it's still one sixth of the game. One seventh of the game. It's still 14% of the game is left over. It's okay. You could still play. And if they can do that, they're going to come away with a gold medal. Another concern I have is, is, is Mark Bachoven. And I, it, maybe it's not fair, but this guy has had more injuries than I could count. Um, can he stay healthy? And if he is healthy, that's fantastic for the team. Go out there and make him play his best. And uh, maybe he can elevate his game and have a chance to, to be really, really great and, and be as good as we all know he has the potential to be. But if he goes down, who, who do you have? I mean, you may have Colin Holly, but you lose a whole lot of meat if Colin Holly becomes your other prop. So I'm concerned. I mean, Anu Putamata, I'm not saying isn't a good player, but you have to remember he's relatively new to this thing as well. I think I want to say his first cap came after Miles Craig Wells. Well, well, but Nuu well, is uh, very, very green to the international seven scene and sevens in general. I think that on this team, it's it's critical to have Bachoven because he gives you he gives you restarts, kickoffs on either end. He gives you line out and he gives you scrum. He's still a good runner and he and he and he's still a, a high quality rucker. But he gives you all those set pieces and restarts and he gives you that experience. And you don't have to worry about a guy like Hawley or guys like Test or guys like Scully who also are going to give you excellent restarts. It now there's just so many weapons in terms of the restarts and 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 things of that nature. That I think that this. This is a team that is that's good, and even if Bachoven does go down with an injury, or if he, or if he's unable to complete the tournament, I think that he'll give them the confidence early on when he performs very well at these skills that these other guys are going to be able to do just as well as him. I think that sometimes you just need to have the confidence to know that a guy's there, and and know that you have a guy with you, a guy who can really do the job, and just. Get just kind of get you started, and after that, these guys are all very capable players, and in and in many ways, a, a lot of them are better rugby players than Mark Bachoven at this point in his career. He, he just if he could just help them to get started in the first two or three games, butterflies out. I, he may not even be one of the guys finishing getting you know finishing the game in a medal round. Maybe you know the, the we're gonna um, work on some other topics coming in, but I do have a couple of things uh, on this. First of all, if if uh, somebody, God forbid, if somebody in the forwards goes down, the guy that gets moved over is Mile Pulu. And you think about that, you know, he's, a, he's a, a strong, powerful guy, but he's also a back. And the the profile of this team continues to change then to all speed. And the, the top players I've been talking to have been very specific about the fact that their concern is not just to get the ball to the fast guys, but to get the ball to the fast guys with space, to give them 10, 15 meters from where they have it to the sideline, to give them space to move. They know that if they can give those guys that amount of space, not run them out of room, then they can do something. And now if they, if they, if they execute that, we've got something good coming on. Now you mentioned the transition to, from 15s to 7s, Bruce, and uh, you know I thought it, I was thinking about this today. There, there are only three players from the World Cup squad that are on the USA squad: uh, Roland Suniula, Colin Hawley, and Blaine Scully. Uh, Suniula has done a lot of hopping between the two. Hawley, 
Actually, he's probably been playing more sevens and fifteens. Um, Scully, he's just a smart guy. I think he, I think they'd be able to do it. I compare that to the Canadians, and remember, the Canadians I think are really the team that that that's the concern. Most likely, USA will end up playing Canada. We hope in the semifinal, and that's the game. That's the crucial game, is to win that semifinal match. And eight of the twelve players playing for Canada played in the World Cup, the 15s World Cup. So what 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 does that tell you? I think for the most part, you think of those guys being a little bit more physical, but are they going to be playing sevens? Or are they still going to be thinking about just busting it up, playing 15s? Now, they've got Phil Mack leading their team. They've got John Moonlight, an excellent sevens player. Um, one of those 15s guys, Nathan Hirayama, really tracks out better as a 15s as a sevens player as he does a 15s but still i think this is a 15s heavy canadian team how does the usa deal with them i think i think and how does the canadian team deal with with the usa because somebody could lose on the first day because they play each other in pool play and in the end it won't matter because they may end up playing again in the semifinal and I just wonder how that's going to work. Advantage USA. You give me a sevens team over over a mixed team any day of the week. I, I mean, it it can be. I mean, obviously, you know, maybe Canada puts it all together, and 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 they're not going to be poor sevens players by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I think that sevens is a specialized sport, and I'm not. I don't think that I'm in the majority in that in that thought. I think a lot of people think that those that the games are similar and and that people can flip flop easily between both. I think that when you get to the elite level, that you know it it's going to kind of be a more specialized game. And I also think it's a speed game. And I think that we've selected for speed. I do think speed matters. And I think that I would rather have a team that was primarily a sevens team even if I don't think that these players would be necessarily the most fantastic or best 15s players around, the best 15s players around don't necessarily make up the best sevens team. And, and I think that vice versa. And I think that, that, that they've done a smart thing by selecting sevens players. And albeit, it would have been very nice to have Emmerich on this team. Well, I think Emmerich is a special case, but I think that this is maybe a turning point to see a, a sevens-heavy sevens team. And I think, if especially if this team is successful, you're going to see more of it. But it is uh, a fast, exciting team. Uh, stay with RugbyMag.com. We're going to have uh, coverage all the way through. Rugby I will Mag be there in Guadalajara. Ah, uh, so I heard. Yeah, uh, and I'll be uh, I'll be there. I'll be. Uh, um, there the whole time and very excited to be there so we will uh, be right back with rugby matrix america and we will be uh, talking a little bit about uh, men's club rugby when we come right back hey fans go to rugbyimports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs whether you're kitting out your team with our american made jerseys stocking up on training supplies or just getting a new pair of boots rugby imports has all you need for on the field and off Go to RugbyImports.com. Hey, don't forget, the biggest rugby party in the USA is slated for February 10th through 12th, 2012 in Las Vegas, Nevada. 
The USA Sevens International Rugby Tournament brings the United States and 15 other top international sevens teams to the American stop on the World Series circuit. It's three days of thrilling action. Go to USA7s.com for details and great hotel and ticket packages. And if you're a player, the Las Vegas Invitational is where you can play rugby before seeing the USA 7s. Presented by Stations Casinos, the LVI is the biggest tournament in the country and offers 7s and 15s playing opportunities for all levels. Go to LVIRugby.com for details on how to sign up and get great USA 7s deals and special rates on Stations Casinos Hotels. Once again, go to LVIRugby.com for details. Okay, well, we are back with Rug Matrix show number 72. This is Alex Goff with Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. And Bruce, well, we're talking club rugby now just for we're checking in with that. And you had a little trip across the country with the New York Athletic Club, and you went to play Olympic Club, and you won the game uh, in overtime, and it was tied, what was it, uh, 21-21? Um, at, oh, 22-22 uh, after full time, and then you scored three tries to win by 21 points. Uh, but what what did you think of you know more more than how did the game go and that's great and um, but what did you think of the Olympic Club because we're still trying to get a handle on who looks good in D1 and and Olympic Club this is kind of their first big game yeah Olympic Club looks real good in D1 I mean when you look at the team they had they had uh, they had JC whose last name escapes me but he has a huge Dallas Cowboys tattoo underneath his underneath his arm which he readily told me that my giant hat really wasn't cool because he was a Dallas fan and, and, and he's twice my size. So I, I said it wasn't cool and I took it off. And, uh, you know, they had Will Johnson and Andy King and they had Andy Armstrong and, and Carl Hansen and they had Rickus Pretorius and Drazina in the back row and they had Engelbrecht at fly half and Rose at center and Golding at the other center and, and Rob Whedon on the, at fullback and, and Dustin Munn on the wing. And we're like, what the hell did we just walk into? This is like, this is like a team that should be playing Eagles in a trial match. But um, we were fortunate to, we, we actually had jumped out to a little bit of a lead and then we, we kind of let them back into the game. And then it, w- it was funny. We, we, we had hit a kick to go ahead with a, you know, a minute or two to go. And then, and an Engelbrecht with, you know, he, he has a, uh, he has a knack of hitting every kick. That's a money kick. And then we went to overtime and, I, and it's just something the AC does relatively well. We, we don't really treat overtime as a pressure situation. We kind of treat overtime as something that's, that's a bit of fun. Um, I, I I actually had had asked Ray Laner. I said, you know, you guys should really join the Super League and you know think about coming back and da 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 da. And and, and I thought that it would be very smart for them for various reasons that I explained why it's good for our club. And you know they just have a different vision. You know, and part of the reason is that they like to be able to play games where their A and their B C B side are together all the time, whereas and and that's one of the reasons that the AC likes to play in the Super League, but we don't have to travel as much in because we get to go to Boston and and back and Boston comes to us and we get to go to um, Old Blue and Old Blue comes to us. So like our experience in the Super League has games that are within driving distance or a little bit closer, and because of that, our A and B side get to play a lot together, and also. Our our Division One, Division Two, and Division Three teams play in the fall, and by the time they get to the spring, they're knocked out of the playoffs. 
So in the event we have a team like Life coming in or Dallas or 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 somebody from further away, we're able to schedule a B-side match against a Division One competition who who is quite good, and they're definitely willing to come to our field and play the B-side because it, it'll give them a good game. So we just have a different experience. So it's not for everybody. I, I really wish that the you know the better teams were in it, and it's just not the case, and and that's why. But they are a good team, and yeah, they, and, and, yeah, and, the, that that lineup's looking good. What is that? Is that a uh, Jorge Caceres? Is that that your JC guy? Yeah, that's him. Know. Yeah, that's him. I don't yeah. know if that's your guy. That's the guy. Okay, so uh, Olympic Club looking strong. Remember, they were second in the Division One last year, and and a little bit unlucky, perhaps. Just a reminder that um, the top four teams last year were Glendale Olympic Club, Palmer, and the Boston Irish Wolfhounds. And the Wolfhounds, I think, are a little bit off from last year. They're they're younger. They're they're, they're a little bit of a rebuilding. Uh, Palmer, looking pretty solid. But Pat, what are you seeing about um, clubs that are coming up that maybe aren't that group? Because uh, I, I I think we I think we all agree the uh, Glendale is still pretty stacked and playing pretty well. But what about some other teams? Perhaps we could have a look at. The Lions are an intriguing team, the Chicago Lions, because. You don't go and beat Palmer by a couple of scores. I mean, and Palmer is just a ridiculously good club. If those guys weren't stuck in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, um, you know, as we discussed previously, maybe they'd be a Super League club. They're a step behind um, Glendale and Oklahoma, in Oak Club, but not two steps. I mean, they're right there. They're a fantastic club. Um, and you don't go beat Palmer after you buy a couple of different scores, which Palmer doesn't lose regular season games on a regular. Um, they're not used to doing it. And then turn around and lose – to uh, Metropolis, um, that just doesn't happen. That doesn't make sense um, the way that that happened with the same teams. So the Lions, I'm a little confused because we keep hearing that they have the same personnel um, by and large week in and week out, but I don't know that I buy that. And if they do, they've got some serious lack of focus problems. But if they decide that they want to win a Division One national championship, I think that they could compete for it. Um, and if they put out their, their, their A squad and they focus and, and they actually decide that that's what they want, um, then I think that they can compete for it because if you can beat Palmer, um, you can you can compete because Palmer is that good. Uh, I think they're an interesting. Well, there's been a, there's been a change in the Midwest playoffs, as I understand it, that they moved the Midwest playoffs from November to the spring, and that is a move that plays right into the hands of the Lions because the Lions are going to get players who expected to take the fall off and go back in the spring. That they're going to be much stronger with that scenario in place. And that's and that may make a difference, and we'll see. The South is better this year than they have been in the past, but the South is who um, in the immediate past because last year they were barely stringing together a competition. But that's who the Midwest crosses over against is the South. Um, and <laughs> if history repeats itself, every single team that from the Midwest that plays a South team um, is going to go ahead and go to the you know Sweet Sixteen anyways. Uh, the South is a little bit better, um, but I don't know that NOLA or Tampa Bay or any of those teams down there are going to have the wherewithal to beat a team like the Lions or Palmer in a one-off. Another team that is intriguing somewhat is PAC. Uh, you know, they are undefeated, if I remember correctly, in the, the Mid-Atlantic. They beat Norfolk, who is killing everybody else. PAC is still undefeated, uh, it, it, although it was really close because this last weekend um, against Pittsburgh Harlequins in Pittsburgh, they won 3 to nothing. In a in a game that um, well you know could have gone either way it was a game with 32 penalties called so somebody should have knocked another one over 
And you never know when these, I don't know who the ref was. I don't want to say that he changed the game, but in the United States in the club game, who your ref is on a given day can really make a huge difference in the, the way the game is too. And it was in Pittsburgh, but either and maybe Pac decided that they could beat Pittsburgh with the skeleton crew. I don't know, but they certainly would be a team that you would think um, could put together the talent if they're taking it seriously. That's the thing is I don't know if teams that come down from Super League to go to D1, that they all take it um, as seriously as they need to, if they really want to compete. Um, and I think that's part of the Lions problem has been focused and, and how seriously they're taking the fall and, and, and whether or not they've been able to get the guys out who usually don't play in the fall, because obviously they plan to play in the spring. They don't plan to play in the fall. Maybe that's a large part of their issue as well. But I think Pac may be, may be the one team to come from nowhere that has a talent. Well, Pac, Pac still seems to be dominating even though with that close win. And in in the Northeast, there's nobody who's uh, making us all sit up and take notice, really. Uh, Old Blue is not a strong has not been a strong Super League team, and they're winning easily as they participate in the league season there. Same goes uh, slightly different in New England. Boston was a strong Super League team, but they've been winning easily, and Mystic River, like Boston Irish Wolfhounds, are kind of on a a little bit of a rebuilding, so uh, I don't know if you're going to see a a world beater come out of there. I do like the South because they they could hardly be any worse than they were the last couple of years. But the South now has several strong-ish teams in there. And I, and I like New Orleans. Um, you know, the, one of those strong Division Two teams that comes in and continues to play well in Division One. Last year... I will say, yeah, yeah. before we move... Yeah, the Denver Barbarians, um, if they decide that they're going to be a Division One, and I don't know that this is going to happen. I have heard the rumor that they've that they're going to back out, but you hear, it seems like you hear that about a lot of teams that they're going to back out of the Super League. You don't know what's real or what's not real, but if the Denver Barbarians do decide that they want to go Division One, they're going to be a player as well, I think you have to look at. Last year, we put a lo- I put a lot of uh, um, stock in what was going on in Southern California. Didn't really come to pass. Belmont Shore faltered a little bit in the uh, in the quarterfinals, uh, Las Vegas got suspended and in trouble, so they didn't didn't go to the the playoffs. But I still think that that's a strong area, and and I still think we may see a top four team come out of that region. But right now, judging from what Bruce saw and what we've been talking about, and what we've been seeing from Colorado, and I don't want to I don't want to discount other regions. Provo is very strong usually and uh the Austin Blacks have been have been good pretty much every year uh for a while, but uh Glendale and Olympic Club still look like the top 2 clubs in the country. I would have to say Glendale and Olympic Club are definitely the top 2 division 1 clubs in the country. I, I'm I'm not sure that that Denver would lead is going to lead the Super League. The Super League put out a Super League put out a schedule that I don't know. Seemed like it was ratified. At least it was ratified in the East. <clears throat> our version of it, which will have a home and home um, for each of the teams. So hopefully they will have that out publicly within a day or two, which it should be, as opposed to two weeks before the season, which it usually is. Um, <clears throat> so that's it. And the other thing is. Don't discount Metropolis because Metropolis has all those guys who are in the Spearhead Rugby Academy, and 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 Millie Poole's little brother is is part of that, and as is a guy that nobody really knows. Metropolis has this guy from Sale, Charlie Bellier is a Fijian guy who 
his nickname at Sale Rugby Club was Charlie Bill Williams. And Charlie basically, <laughs> he's a 235-pound guy with jets, and he plays flanker, and he can play front row, and he's and he really busts through and, 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 is, and is an incredible offloader. And I, and I think that early on, the Metropolis team wasn't really able to, to get a gauge on how he really played. But his nickname is Charlie Bill Williams. And and you know Mike Petrie was friends with him at um at, at Sale, and and he and the only reason I, I, I really know him and I'm friends with him is that he wanted to come to New York to play for New York Athletic Club. He's also, but it, it seemed like it was a better fit for him to go and and work with the kids at Spearhead Rugby Academy, and 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 work with those guys. And and he's been a really nice addition to the academy. And a really nice addition to the team, and I, not that I think that Metropolis is gonna is gonna win, or even go to the final four, but I do think that they're a better team, and that they're definitely on the upswing. Uh, and and Dallas, if anyone was wondering if they were gonna leave, that Dallas actually ratified being in the Eastern Conference. They're in the Eastern Conference of the of the Super League now, um, to give us a warm weather city. So they ratified the uh, schedule, at least on the emails that I saw. So I would, I, I don't think Dallas is going to leave, and and I would hopefully none of the West Coast teams would leave. But um, you know that remains to be seen. Anything can happen, as we have seen in the past. Anything indeed can happen, and we'll find out what that could be. We have more when we come right back with Rugga Matrix America. Jonah Lamu Rugby Challenge is now available for pre-order at GameStop and the store at GameShark.com. Order now and get a free t-shirt with pre-orders. GamesRadar says the game looks fantastic and plays smoothly. A long time coming and worth the wait. Get your copy today and get the game hailed by GamerFusion as a great experience. Jonah Lamu Rugby Challenge offers an unrivaled Xbox 360 rugby experience. Featuring 93 teams and 31 stadiums, online leaderboards, in-game Dolby Digital, and multiplayer voice chat. Buy now and be among the first to play this acclaimed game and get a free rugby t-shirt. Check out GameStop, GameShark.com, and check out the ad on our main page at RugbyMag.com for more. And we are back with Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton and Alex Goff on Rugga Matrix America, and we are talking... Division One college, and we've got sevens, and we've got fifteens going on, and the the uh, a real check in on on just the fifteens Division One Double A league, which is what used to be Division One when we had Premier Division. Premier Division is now D One A, so it's a D One Double A, and uh, what's been really fun, Pat Clifton, is that Davenport University web streams all their games. And you get to watch at least at least their home games, and you get to watch them play, and 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 I have to say that Miami, Ohio, is a pretty darn good rugby team, and they've got some talent, and they've got the ability to score, and they scored a really nice 85 meter try on on Davenport, and they still ended up getting blown out. Yeah, I haven't watched that game yet. I'm going to this week um, for sure. I know the score, so you don't have to worry about um, okay. telling it to me. Sorry, <laughs> spoiler alert. But, uh, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, um, Miami is – I don't think they're just a really good team. I think that they – in any other year, you take Davenport out of the equation, 
Um, obviously, Dartmouth is fantastic. But if you take Davenport out of the equation, I think Miami could potentially be the, your national champion. I think that highly of the team they have, the personnel they have, the fact that they've got the chemistry to play together. I think that the fact that the, the way Davenport beat them, 49 to 15, is absolutely a testament to the varsity model and what it really means and what it does. And it's not necessarily the scholarships. It's the time together working out, lifting weights. Um, they're practicing five days a week. You know, you can't do that in club in most club programs. I, Davenport lost to Bowling Green twice last fall. They would not have lost to Bowling Green in the spring because they had eight months or however many months to lift weights, to work out, to watch film, to be a varsity program, and they just became that much better. Well, now they've got, they're going to have another 12 months by the time they get to the national playoffs of doing that again, and I, they're a juggernaut. The only team in the country, I think, that has a chance, and I mean has a chance to beat them, is Dartmouth. Um, you know, Matt Hawkins may be able to put something together at San Diego State and surprise me, but the Davenport Panthers are the team to beat, and I'm telling you, and I, I've written it in a, a couple of different times, it is only a matter of time, in my opinion, before Davenport or Lindenwood start beating teams like BYU and Cal and Arkansas State. Well, the, And Bruce, you may be able to comment on this, but what really struck me about Davenport, and we could say, was it fitness? Well, it's not so much fitness like we saw Miami guys with their hands on their knees wheezing and sucking air. What it is is that there's this fitness of concentration, and, and Davenport kept playing the way that they normally play all the way through. And if there was one little breakdown from one or two guys on Miami, that's what created those tries. And, and the, the fitness aspect of being able to train all the time uh, ends up being that, that consistency of intensity. I think that the biggest thing when you, when you see it a lot is, say, for instance, like when, when the AC trains, when 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 the opposition team or something happens and the ball goes down, a lot of teams stop training then. But when we knock on a ball and we make the guys kill it, just go down, kill it, and stop play. Take away the advantage of the knock-on or the mistake. The reason is you're giving somebody a free play. You're giving them a free chance to beat you. But on the flip side, when there's a mistake made, we practice going, taking that ball and using it and trying to beat teams and create offensive opportunity through defense. That's what good teams do. Good teams make you pay for your mistakes, and average teams only practice success. That's what happens when you get to be a varsity program or you get to treat yourself as if you're a varsity program. Looking ahead also on the other side of college rugby, we're in right in the middle of the Sevens National Championship thing. It's a, it's a new thing that, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, USA Rugby or USOC or nobody in particular said had to be made to happen this year. Uh, in the end, it's going to happen. Texas A&M, December 16th and 17th, which is a Friday and Saturday. Uh, that's uh, the BYU rule. BYU is going to be in it, so uh, it's going to be Friday and Saturday at Texas A&M. And uh, we're seeing a lot of teams uh, put their hand up when it comes to sevens. And, uh, you know, a, a few of these tournaments are kind of uh, ho-hum. And, 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 Pat, you've been covering a lot of these. I, I, was at a, you know, I was at the one in the Northwest, and we've been covering some of them. Uh, the Northwest w was, I think, a, 
an interesting example or, or maybe a typical example. Uh, a bunch of teams that worked really hard to try to play good sevens and one team who was actually very good at it, which was Central Washington. There was a big gap between Central Washington and the rest of them. And then I saw some of those teams go down to the Pacific Sevens. Oh, University of Washington, who had uh, won the plate in the Northwest. They were 2-2. Two and two. They lost their first two games. Didn't really look strong at all, but they got better and better, and they ended up being top four in the Pacific, which I think is uh, an indication that a little bit of competition time helps you. Uh, but we're seeing some cream rise to the top. Uh, such as? Yeah, well, the cream of the crop so far, you've got to say, are BYU, Central Washington, Life. Um, I think those are the teams you look at that are really, really good. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, Colorado, I've seen Colorado play sevens the last two summers at Denver sevens. Um, uh, uh, there where the Barbarians play and uh, at Dick Sporting Goods. And they've always had a good team, and they've always played better sevens than every other college team that's there. And th- usually that includes Air Force. But that's in the summer. That's not exactly during the school year when people are actually focusing on it and have the time to have all their athletes around. Um, but at the same time, I, and Colorado is impressive um, in beating the teams that they beat. I don't know that they'll be able to hold up talent for talent um, against guys like Life, um, Central Washington, BYU, and some of the other teams we expect to perhaps be in this thing. What what about um, Utah? If, if Utah gets an at-large bid, which I think would be uh, pretty much a given, uh, they show up with Don Patti added to that lineup. Uh, they, they're a different team. Uh, entirely different team. Don Patti is one of my favorite players in America to watch. I think that – I'm not going to say it was a mistake to not take him to the Pan Am games, but I will say that if I was the coach, Don Patti would have been on my team. Um, I, I'll take that kid in a battle any day of the week because – He's got an incredible heart, and he's a, he's a great athlete. And uh, maybe Alice says, you know what? You're still in college. Um, come back to us when you're out of college. We don't want to take you out for a full semester when we've got other guys who don't have to make that sacrifice. I don't know if that's what the discussion was, but Don Potty will be a 7's eagle, and hopefully he'll be a 15's eagle as well. Um, but, yeah, that changes them. The, Utah is a great team. I think, I, you know, of all the tournaments that have happened so far, if there's a tournament that's going to get a third seed, I think it's – that one, I think it's uh, the the, Pat, the Pacific Sevens because UCLA showed itself to be a very good team. Um, you know, Washington showed itself to be a good team. There are a lot of good teams there, and I think out of all the tournaments that have happened so far, top to bottom, that is the best one. I think California Sevens this weekend is going to rival it, if not be better than it. Boy, look, um, look! I'm looking at the pools right now. So Pool A: St. Mary's, UC Davis, Santa Clara, and Loyola Marymount. So that's a that's a, a pretty typical pool. For most things, and I, and I think St. Mary's um, blows everybody away. Pool B, pool of death here. Uh, University of San Diego, a, a, a good, effective side. Cal, Cal Poly, and San Diego State. Yeah. That's I mean, San Diego State, coached by Matt Hawkins, coached, coached by, by the USA captain. Right, and he's not in Mexico, so he's got some time to coach him. I don't know what kind of talent they have left in the cupboard. Obviously, their two big guns, Alex Ross and Duncan Kelm, are gone. Um, but if, if he's got any talent at all, I, I, there may no be better, may not be any better hands in America to, to, to really mold him into something good. And you look at St. Mary's, um, I think that they're probably my favorite to win the tournament, but they only won by one over Cal Poly, um, in, in the Cal Poly tournament a couple weeks ago. So it'd be really interesting. There's some good teams out there. Um, and there, that could be a tournament where perhaps 
Now you mentioned it a little earlier that BYU is going to be in the national championship. That's not a given. No, no, but they 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 won their tournament, so they're they've qualified. Right, they won right. their tournament, right? So it, I think if you start seeing some of these champions decide they're not going to go because it's of the academic calendar and the way the the tournament, the national championship tournament interferes with it, then you're going to start seeing some third seeds get picked or some third place teams get picked from out of the, some some of these qualifiers instead of just all second place teams. And if that's the case, I think you look at Pac the Pacific Coast. And you look at um, um, uh, this tournament coming up, California Sevens. I think those are the ones where you're going to find a third team if you do. So do not tank that third, fourth game. That's a that's a game that you're going to need to to play. And I talked to Jack Clark uh, a little bit about the the Cal Sevens team. You know, obviously they're going to want to win that, and they're working hard to do that. But you know, he said, we're, "Are we favored in that tournament?" He said, "I don't. I, I'm not sure we are because uh, you look at St. Mary's." And I mean, this is the discussion that we w- went through, Bruce, with the with the CRC. St. Mary's is uh, assumed to be a terrific sevens team simply because of the kind of game they play, and and it's and it's been borne out the first time that they go out and they they, they win a tournament, and they have uh, they have Mark Bass coaching them, uh, but they've they've got some superb talent. Of course, so does Cal. I mean. I- my money is as, as, as much as I love St. Mary's. My money's on Cal. Um, it's usually not a bad bet. The bigger issue is, I, I, as much as I respect all these teams going and playing and really doing what they can for to play sevens and 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 trying to promote sevens and and promote sevens at their school and try to play seven. What the heck is going on with this crap? I mean, let's face facts. They're having a sevens national championship on finals week. You know what is what is almost universally in 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 college known as finals week in the first semester. They, you know, they they have a. It, it's not even publicized as to exactly how the hell it's going to go down, who's going to play, teams are are backing out for sensible reasons. I don't, why didn't they just try to do this through the CRC? What I you know, and I'm not talking about this. You know, I don't work for Rugby Magazine. I don't, you know, I have nothing to do. Well, with you, you've magazine. you've knocked the CRC when it's time to knock the well, CRC. No, you've had no problem with it. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm still willing to knock the CRC, and I'm you know I'm willing to knock the CRC's selection process of their schools, or maybe willing to knock it for not being a 24 team tournament. I don't, you know, whatever you want to say. And we've had that discussion before that, you know, when we'll save it for the CRC, because hopefully, you know, things, things change a little bit, but just take that out of the equation and just say, but what's going on here? I mean, is, have I lost my mind or is this a complete waste of time? And is USA rugby or has USA rugby dropped the ball? Oh, well, both, both clearly, first of all, clearly you've lost your mind, but that that happened a long time ago that, you know, and I, and I've got to say, I am, I I am employed by, you've gotten all this intelligence for free. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Is it still somewhere just laying on the street? Yeah, I think, I think that's, it's lying there somewhere on the roadside. I, I, I work for the company that puts on the CRC, but, that doesn't mean that I think that everything that CRC does is perfect, and that doesn't mean that when I um, complain about some other kind of process that I don't have a le- legitimate point. What's going on with this national championship was that it was pushed to be in 2011, 
and the only time found, and a lot of people who sort of said, okay, a lot of people on the collegiate committee that said, let's pick December, didn't like it in December, but they couldn't find any other place to do it. The, 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 a lot of the things here could be fixed, and I hope they will be fixed. First of all, having all these build-up tournaments spread all the way through the fall rather than bunch them up a little bit more. And the second thing is, why not wrap it around the CRC, which is already on national television? And there was all this talk about getting this new national championship on on TV. We still haven't seen that work uh, because it's really, really hard to get something on TV and to try and get people interested in it. The point of picking this mid-December weekend was because there are no football games on that weekend. Well, it still looks like we're not sure if we're going to get much coverage or anything like that. Why couldn't we just say, let's start with, you know, whatever, you know, from mid-May through June, Collegiate Sevens. Get yourself ready for the CRC. The CRC launches the whole thing. You might have a couple of other, uh, all these qualification tournaments, either be just before or just after. And then at the end of June, bang, USA Rugby National Championship. It's possible that you could have done it that way. But there seemed to be some push from some unknown entity. Uh, Kevin Roberts, chairman of the board, possibly. Uh, was it the board or was it Nigel Melville at USA Rugby? I don't, I don't think it was. But if somebody was pushing to say that it had to be in 2011, and it wasn't the USOC, as I understand it from what I've gotten from people I've talked to, it was not the U.S. Olympic Committee who said you must have a collegiate national championship in sevens in 2011. I don't think they said that. And and what the USOC says is you can have a junior Olympics and and you're free to have a junior Olympics. And junior Olympics could be under 19, it could be under 17, it could be an uh, age grade thing, it could be a camp. And that's something that the US, uh, USA Rugby should really get hold of and do something with. This one was rushed, and it's pushed through uh, at the same time. And, uh, you know, Pat, uh, it's going to be fun. No matter how many who shows up and what it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Anytime, yeah. I mean, you can't argue that having more ki- colleges, more kids, more talent, more players playing sevens and doing it in a meaningful competition is a bad thing. It's a good thing. There's no doubt about it. I'm glad USA Rugby has a national championship. That said, let's get to the real crux of the issue. Let's talk about it, really, what it, what's happening. The competitions committee was told this spring they had to have, when they were formed, that they had to have a USA, they had to have a national championship this year. This calendar year, before the end of the year, they had to have it. Now, they were originally told that it was a USOC push thing. We've come to find out that wasn't the case. Now, you look at, everybody's passing the buck on this thing, saying who was really at fault. Nigel Melville has said two different, he's changed his story twice, saying who actually was pushing this. Was it the board? Was it Congress? Was it Todd Bell? Who was it? We don't know, because there's a whole lot of secrecy going on here, which leads me to believe that there's something, some kind of schoolduggery going on as to why it really exists. But if you look at it and you break it down, what would be the reasonable reasons why a Sevens National Championship had to happen this year? And if you haven't read it or we haven't been paying attention, the Collegiate Committee unanimously said um, this is competitions committee unanimously went back to USA rugby and suggested let's set it up for 2012. Um, not 2011. We don't have enough time. We don't have the infrastructure. We're worried about, um, when we're going to do it. We're worried about the venue. We're worried about money. Let's do it for 2012. USA rugby pushed them to make them do it this year. I was told by a board member this summer that they were going to push them to make it do it this year. So the board was behind it at some degree 
but who is behind the board pushing them to do it? Was it Kevin Roberts? As you said, we don't know. Let's move on. So they have to have this national championship. They're told, in, or at least they're, they feel like they're assured that there's going to be money to put this thing on television back in May. They were assured that. We come to find out now, they're told, what it, was it a week ago this happened? It was, I, think, I believe it was Thursday and Friday, finally the College Competitions Committee, after being ignored for months, um, was actually told and got Nigel Melville on the phone and was told there was not going to be the money to put it on television. That may change. He's, Nigel Melville is still working to get this thing on television. But what has happened between May and now it's changed it. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of silence that went on, and we don't really know exactly what happened. But the, the, commi- the committee here. had a plan in place in April that was ready to go that hasn't changed. They got nothing saying to them, yes, fine, terrific, go ahead, or no, you're completely wrong, go back to the drawing board. They got nothing. Until the only the, they got feedback when they came to Rugby Mag and said, "Could you please publish an interview about this? We've got some things we want to say about it, and and here's here's our, what's going on." They until the until they were the squeaky wheel. Right. Yeah. I want to get back to my original. You're absolutely right about that. And I know they they we're fine to let them use us as a, as a as a mouthpiece a little bit to, to get to people and tell them what they need to hear. And, you know, people on the competitions committee were telling me that that's how they got the information. USA Rugby, we beat USA Rugby on everything this entire time when they could have released the information. Why didn't they release the information? I'll get to that in a second. Um, what were the reasons why, um, as I mentioned earlier, what were the reasons that would be acceptable to force it to come this year? The only one that I could come up with is that the USA, USOC mandated it. And we've come to find out, as I said, that they didn't actually mandate it. So what are the other possible reasons? I've written, and I believe this to be true, that it has to do with USA 7s, and it may, maybe not a jealousy issue, or maybe it's trying to get some money out of it, or maybe it's USA Rugby pride or whatever it is, or somebody's pride who's on the board or who works in Boulder on a regular basis. But, but that is the only explanation to me that I can see why it was forced this year. If you guys disagree or you see another reason, why would it be forced into 2011 when we've come to find out that the USA, USOC was not forced to be in 2011? Well, I, th- I think the CRC is the elephant in the room. I mean, it, it is the one that that s- clearly they wanted to get something going before the next one. I, I don't know what is going on, but what I will say is that obviously it was done in haste or and and done incompletely, and and I think that that's that's a lot of the reason why. USA Rugby really has to get the hell out of trying to run everything for everyone or trying to be in total control like some sort of a Politburo. I I think that there's something that was perfectly good there. You know, it it had its flaws, no doubt about it. And I'm not saying it's not a good thing to have sevens competitions throughout regions and even to have conference champions. And, And there's nothing wrong with having conference champions in sevens in the fall like they like they have in, in every other sport in football i just or, or in 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 every other conference in football so there's nothing wrong with any of this it's just that selling it as some kind of a collegiate national championship and then picking that weekend which i mean it can't be there can't be a worse weekend to pick it goes back to and i hate to interrupt but well, actually, I don't. It's Bruce. I don't mind interrupting you ever. But um, it goes back to television. 
this whole thing. And I think that's part of the reason why you have we had the silence is because they were waiting to release the information on where it was going to be, when it was going to be, and finalizing it because they wanted to bundle it with good news that hey, ESPN three or ESPNU or somebody's going to show it because they wanted to be able to put it on television. Well, they got down to the bare bones, minimum amount of time that they could possibly tell somebody where the national championship was going to be and all the final details. So they had to release the information. At some point and then we kind of you know obviously uh, us publishing it doesn't look good that we're publishing it and they're not um, putting it out to the wrong people so they, we kind of forced the issue there but th- it's my belief that they waited this long um partially because USA Rugby just acts slow in everything they do but a large part because they wanted to announce a television bundle and to me that makes sense as to why they picked that weekend in December because it is a down weekend in December between the regular season of college football and the conference championship weekend of college football and before the bowl season really gets picked up so they thought they had a better chance of actually getting television coverage right there um and and so if you add up those two things it's okay if you're going to do things in the name of television because as we've seen that the crc is in a terrible time for students it's 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 at or um right after finals some people aren't even in school at the time it happens it's a terrible time but tv fixes all issues as far as that's concerned the problem with this is a lot of concessions were made as far as time as far as getting prompt information out in the name of television in my opinion and there is no television. They forgot about this really big thing that goes on. It's called basketball. And a lot of people like it. Right. We forgot about that game. Hey, dude, they are a snowstorm away from teams not showing up. And that would look dreadful. You know, okay, so... Just to wrap up on this, we really hope that the tournament works out great. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more teams in there and some teams that perhaps get a chance to prove that they're a top-notch Collegiate Sevens team. And I'm looking forward to the women's competition, which we really didn't talk about, which doesn't even have qualification tournaments. They're just going to be invited. Um, where, where have we heard that before? Um, and, I'm, uh, and I think that'll be... I think that'll be exciting, and I think it'll be good for developing the game. The difference between where you've heard that before and where you haven't you is that they're probably going to invite all the best teams. Okay, I see. <laughs> okay, well difference. we'll see. We'll see what the the lineup is and see how different they are. And and but at the end, this is what it's going to end up being is a very nice rugby tournament. It's not going to be a, a blow you away event, and I'd like it to be a blow you away event. I think it would be terrific to have another one. That goes up up there just as just as the college premier final last year had uh, over ten thousand fans, and then a week later there was the CRC, and there was over ten thousand fans on the first day there. So it was really big, and 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 I got equally excited about the two of those things. And and one was USA Rugby, and one was USA Sevens. We hope it all works out, but the way it was put there, and the way people are being shoved, squeezed out the toothpaste tube to make this happen seems to be uh, strange. It seems to put yet another thing on the backs of players that makes it very difficult. And I think Bruce McLean put it right where you say you can't just mandate it, snap your fingers, and it will happen, especially from an organization that just doesn't have the deep pockets. And I guess I'll leave you with the comment that Nigel Melville said to to me, and he had said to the Collegiate uh, Competitions Committee, USA Rugby cannot afford to lose 100,000, even 50,000 on this event. 
whereas a private entity that puts investors into it can and expects to. USA Rugby needs to balance that, that the books at the end of the year. They can't afford to sink six figures into one rugby tournament. I just want to say that the rugby will be fine. The venue will be fine. I mean, it's not going to be a stadium, but it will be fine. The rugby will be fine. I think that trying to turn it into something it's not, and it always seems to be over-promise, under-deliver. There's only so long uh, teams are going to put up, colleges are going to put up with this, and you know the high schools really – kind of took their organization by the bootstraps and have taken it out of USA Rugby and will take it out of USA Rugby over the next several years to where kids won't even be sipping whatsoever. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before college rugby does the same thing. When they realize we got something pretty good, we got something pretty sustainable, what the heck do we need Boulder for? And I think this is one of those events that you'll look back on and say, well, that was part of the reason that led up to this revolution. All right, so it's a turning point, and maybe a turning point that didn't need to be rushed because it turns out to be a turning point well it's a great show and uh um that will do it for us at rugby matrix america uh, this is alex golf with rugbymag.com uh, thanking uh, bruce mclean over in new york and pat clifton in kansas city and you the listeners thanks all of you for listening to rugby matrix america